to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Yeah, just an amazing, amazing privilege to be here uh, this morning and to see how the church has, has grown and how the church is flourishing. I was just looking at the amount of kids here at the front, just crazy. I remember when we arrived here and how few kids there were and just seeing all the multiplication taking place, just, just amazing, just incredible. And um, I was at the back earlier giving my PowerPoint to, um, to the guys there at the back, at, um, to Sebastian, I think, and they asked me, are you nervous? So I'm always nervous <laughs> before I, I have to preach. I'm not like the Hulk, eh? the Hulk is always angry. <laughs> before I have to preach, I'm always a bit nervous because it's, a, it's such a tremendous privilege to, to share the Word of God with, uh, with God's people. Um, but especially when you come to people who have an expectation, um, then especially, you know, you have a sense of uh, um, the Lord's, how much you need the Lord, you need His grace. And uh, just being here now and, and um, seeing Henning and the guys being sent, yeah, it just reminded uh, myself and, and Nikki of uh, our time as well when we were sent. And uh, uh, just an amazing, amazing um, Johannesburg-shaped hole that's in our hearts. <laughs> um, you guys have left such a deep imprint upon our hearts and upon our, our families. And uh, we, we cherish the moments that we've, were, uh, we were able to share with you and the moments that we were able to build together and just to enjoy the Lord's presence together. And especially just moments of worship with God in His presence. So, so precious and so special. Um, so I want to I wanna pray for us this morning as we, we get into the Word. Father, we, we are so thankful, Lord, for who you are. And we're so thankful that you have called us. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you are with us. We're so thankful, God, that you have promised that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. We're so thankful, Holy Spirit, that you have come to honor the blood of Jesus. That you live with us as fallen man, a holy God, and you have found a way to, to live in these temples of clay. You found a way to, to reconcile us back to you through the blood of your Son. We thank you for that. We thank you that this morning, we don't have to go up to some temple, that this morning we can be your temple. We thank you that you have come to tabernacle with us, to, to dwell with us. And I thank you for every heart in this room. I thank you for every desire. I thank you for every need, every prayer. And I thank you that you are more than enough, God, for all of us. In the wonderful name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, we, we're so dependent upon you and we thank you. And we can give this morning to you. Thank you that you have prepared our hearts, Lord, and, and what you're about to do this morning will, will transition us, Lord, to where you need us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. I was, I was praying for this, um, for this morning right throughout the weekend, and I felt a little bit like Paul um, coming to, uh, to visit one of his congregations. Uh, and not that I put myself in Paul's class, but, you know, I just, I was reading Romans again, and and Paul is, is saying to the, um, to the guys in Rome how he was longing for them to, to visit them because um, he just wanted to impart some gift to them so that they could be established in the faith. But not just that also, he was also longing to be encouraged by, by their faith, by the mutual sharing together of, of uh, their faith and of his faith. And I, and I thought about that so much and I, and I was thinking about this church and, 
And Paul says to the church in Rome, he says to them that, guys, I, um, I want you to know that I thank God for you. And because your faith is being spoken of right throughout the whole world, he says to them. Uh, and, and I want to say that about Shofar Johannesburg, guys, wherever we go in the Shofar world, uh, in the Shofar movement, uh, your faith is being spoken of. Um, young George mentioned it, just how much you guys are giving. And, and I want to thank you just coming from, from Summers of the West and coming from a bit of an HQ perspective, just so many congregations that you guys are helping out, so many times when they were needs and you were giving. And, um, you know, being in Summers of the West, it's a wonderful place. It's a place that we enjoy living in. Um, but we have a few challenges down there. We have a mountain, okay, quite a big mountain, a few mountains. And we have the beach, and there are tremendous blessings. But there are also challenges because uh, what happens is that people sort of enjoy the mountain so much and uh, enjoy the sea so much and enjoy all the wonderful things that nature provides you with there that um, you can pretty much live without people there <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not careful. You can continue living and have a wonderful life if you feel a little bit sad. You walk on the beach and you put your feet in the water or you climb the mountain and then you feel better again because you've connected with, uh, you've connected with God or you've connected with their wonderful surroundings. And, and I always tell the guys that there's something about Johannesburg, there's something about living in the city that forces you to really push into community. It forces you to sort of look at um, a 40-minute drive, an hour's drive um, after work to get to someone as, oh, come on, man, <laughs> of course. You know, I want to get to small groups, so I'll drive 40 minutes. Uh, I want to bribe with someone, I'll drive an hour. Um, in some of the West, that's driving to Paul, you know, which is the other side of the world. And so you've got, to, you've got to plan two weeks in advance and, you know, maybe a month, um, make sure you've got some provisions for the road as well. And so uh, if you don't literally live around the corner from someone, you know, I remember chatting to someone two years ago and I said, no, Henny and uh, um, JP and Lorraine, they're just living around the corner from us. And um, it was like, what was it, a 10-minute drive or something? And they're like, no, 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 around the corner is, <laughs> around the corner is just like, you know, two-minute walk. But in Joburg, things are a little bit different. But there's, there's this sense here, guys, that, that I believe God has blessed this church with a tremendous capacity to value relationships. And it doesn't really make sense if you think about it from the outside because you always think of Johannesburg as this, this incredibly focused place. You know, it's a, if you're down in Cape Town, you think of Joburg as, um, you know, it's a completely different foreign country almost. You know, people are living in a different set of values and everything is fast-paced. But there's something so precious that God has placed in your heart. Uh, an ability God has given you to draw in people, to look after them, to nurture them, to protect them, to, to love them, to pull them into genuine community. And I'm not always sure how much you, you know how precious that is. and What an incredible gift that is that God has given you. But I, I sensed in my heart as I was just preparing for this, for this service this morning that God is actually wanting to, to take you even deeper than that. There's a lot that, that is happening in your heart, and there's an incredible way in which you are drawing in people. And God is blessed with a tremendous love. But I'm sensing that God is wanting to transition you to an even, even deeper level. That is wanting to transition you into a, a love that's even more reckless. A love that's even more brave, that's even more courageous. A love that is, that is going to be a shining light in the city. And, and so this morning when we, we think of Father's Day and we... We think about just the workshop we're going to have after the service. I want to, I want to chat to you a little bit about God's heart for, for the orphans. I'm going to chat to you a little bit about what I believe is, is God's purpose for us as, as, as congregations. 
as, as individuals, as, as families. And, and so I'm wanting to trust the Lord that He's going to transition us beyond the place where we are this present moment loving a lot of people and we're drawing those people into our fellowship. But that He's wanting to take us to a, a place that goes beyond our comfort zones, even more so. And, uh, and you guys are already awesome. All right? You're already incredible. But, uh, but I sense God is wanting to take you beyond your own natural awesomeness. <laughs> He's the one to take you beyond what you have capacity for to the place where, where he truly begins to do something amazing. And so I'm going to take you on a journey a little bit that I've been on and my, my family's been on. And, and we were privileged to share a lot of that journey with you as a, as a congregation. And many of you are aware of our journey in terms of fostering and, and so forth. And um, earlier in this year, I had the tremendous opportunity to go to a, to a conference uh, which was called the World Without Orphans Conference. Right? It's not a wrestling conference. It's WWO. Um, it was held in Thailand. And I want you guys to go to the first slide. Sebastian, if you can go to the first one. And um, it was a conference held in, in Chiang Mai in, in Thailand. And um, at first, I didn't want to go on this conference. Right? It was a conference that dealt specifically with, with, with orphans and, and working together. And that's just a picture from my hotel room looking out on the city, and what was fascinating about the city is everywhere where you've got big buildings, you'd have shrines upon them. Um, you walk down the street, you'd have all these different shrines and people busy worshiping to all sorts of different deities. And every morning I would walk past these shrines, and then you would see there's a, a glass of Coke, or there was some uh, watermelon, or some fruit put out in, in front of the shrine. And I was walking past that, and I was looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, Wow. Here you have the city that is trapped in so much poverty. Here's a city that's trapped in, in, in so much sexual decadence. You know, um, the sex industry is the number one um, uh, foreign tourism um, industry in Thailand. Uh, thousands, literally tens of thousands of, of European people, men, women, go there for the sex industry. It's legalized there, and it produces such a lot of income for that city and for that nation. And so you have, I spoke to someone there who's working with those ladies on the street, and he says he's working with second and third generation prostitutes. He's working with, with ladies whose mothers were prostitutes and whose grandmothers were prostitutes. That's all that they know. And then they come to salvation, but now it's a process. What happens now? How do I now walk out my salvation if this is the only thing that I've ever known? And so just that whole process of seeing all of this, this bondage. I remember I, I slept in this one hotel the first evening I arrived there, and, and it was before the conference started, and, and I went into the hotel, and I realized that, um, you know, I better get my accountability uh, in order here. Phoned a friend and said, you, you better pray. There's some hectic stuff here, and, and I'm going to go into my room. I'm not going to go out at night. I'm going to go in my room, and I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to be there. And the next day, we went to another hotel where there were um, lots of Christians where we were supposed to be. And I just understood the, the tremendous impact of the spiritual realm. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this religious system where you have such a lot of religious people. You have this religious system where, where, where people are walking past these things and daily bowing down in front of them, daily praying. And yet you've got this poverty, you've got this bondage. And this religious system doesn't seem to make one bit of difference to the lives of people. And I was thinking about, and the Lord was just saying to me, but, but hang on a minute, before you get all judgmental about their religion, maybe it's time for you to evaluate your own religion and to really start asking the question, uh, the things that we do, the things that we value in religious sense, is it really impacting the community around us? 
Is it really making a difference to there where people are truly living? Or are we just having, you know, we don't have the shrines, but we've got other spiritual things that, that we are doing. But the most dangerous thing about religion is religion separates us from where people are truly living. Religion can keep us very busy. Religion can keep us very happy. But it keeps us powerless. It, it, it gives us a, a set of rules and regulations that leaves us completely incapable of transforming people and transforming communities and families. And so I was just thinking about this, and, and that was my first day then, going through the whole process of, of thinking about what the Lord is wanting to do. And, 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 and so me getting to this conference, I told Nikki, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to a World Without Orphans conference. I'm not even sure if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm one of the directors of Keep Wayne. Many of you guys know our journey and, and, and just the things that we've been through. And so there was a time when I was like, I'm not too sure if, if, if I'm the person that God wants to, to do this. I'm not too sure if, if this is something that I should be, be praying about and I should be involved in. And maybe I can pray for this, but there are other people much more qualified and much more equipped to go in. And um, then, of course, my wife and the Lord, they were in agreement, and so I was stuffed. And um, I had a go. <laughs> It's mostly the case. I hate that. <laughs> Fight with her and disagree with her, and I know it's just a question of time when I'll be proven wrong. But in any case, so she says, you need to go. And so I went. I went on this. I went to this conference, and it was an amazing conference. Okay, there were, there were five pillars. Um, if you guys can just put up the banners, the slide with the banners. The whole, the whole drive behind this, this conference was to, to unite um, all the different churches and the NGOs worldwide that were working with orphan care, working with women and children who were at risk. And their five pillars were, firstly, God. Um, and so our heart for the orphan, our heart for the um, children at risk, doesn't start with the children at risk. It doesn't start with their need. It starts with who our God is. Uh, we care for the children, we care for the widows, not because we are wonderful people, not because their need is great even, but because our God is an awesome God that cares for the widows and the orphans. Secondly, um, the second pillar is that of the child. And that is that at one stage or another, Jesus Christ chose as God to come into this world as a child. Came into this world as a vulnerable child who, who, whose family was persecuted and who needed people to look after them. Who needed people to bring gifts to them so that they could be provided for who needed a dad who could stand up and who say, I will not put that woman away even though she sounds crazy. I will look after, I will adopt this child that isn't my child. Jesus was adopted literally by a man that looked after him. And so to look at children beyond just who they are that moment and to see something of God in them, look beyond their circumstances, look beyond the slum or look beyond this, the place they find them in. The third one is that God's desire is to, is to put the children of this world that are vulnerable and that are broken and that are at risk, to put them not into a project, but to put them into a family. And that shook me to my core because I, I, I realized how easy it is for us as, as, as the church to get religious around these things and to build projects. Build homes, build projects, attach our name to it, and say, look how wonderful we are. There's our project. And God doesn't put us into projects. He puts us into families. And so the third pillar is that of family, and the, the fourth one is that of church, and that is that God's plan, God's, God's 
um, a plan is designed for solving this crisis is via the local church. A community of believers who share the same values, where you've got so many skills and talents and, and giftedness put together in one room and where people freely give. Where they don't belong to an organization, they don't get paid for it, but they are family. It manifests God's love. And then the last one there is that no church, no family, no individual can do this on their own. We need to join hands. So what was refreshing for me was getting there and seeing and people from different religious persuasions, or not religious persuasions so much as denominational backgrounds within the Christian faith, Methodists and Presbyterians and Charismaniacs and all sorts of different peoples, just coming together, and they united around this common cause. They united around God's heart for the vulnerable. And it's amazing when you have the right focus, when you have a common focus, how it transcends your differences, how it moves you beyond the peripheral things that we fight about and those things are designed to keep us away from actually doing the work of the ministry, doing what God has called us to do. But when we're united around his heart, those things fall away. And so I just want to share a little bit of my journey uh, over those four days. If you go to the next slide. What was incredible, I got to this conference and it was brilliantly organized. Excellence. Right at the forefront of this conference, right at the heart of this conference was the worship. Mac Powell from third day, he was, he was there. He was leading the worship. They also had adopted two kids, two or three kids. And so what was amazing again was to be there from, you know, with, with believers from all over the world, from America, the Himalayas, Australia, South Africa, um, Africa, uh, Britain, people dressed in different uh, kinds of traditional dresses. And yet when, we, when we, we speak different languages, we've got different experiences. Some are incredibly wealthy. Some had to just borrow money to get there. When we are in the presence of God, we're all the same. And to worship God together. But for me, it was a little bit like a glimpse of heaven. <laughs> it was so amazing to, again, get there and to, and to understand what, what are the important things. To be in God's presence and to know that we, we're the same. The same heart that longs for a daddy. The same heart to just be seen by God. The same heart to just know that I matter to someone. And that I'm accepted and my sacrifice is accepted by this, this God that we serve. Go to the next one. And so this, this whole movement started, the guy here at the front, um, it's a guy from the Ukraine. This conference was organized not by the Americans, which was also, uh, I think, a little bit different, not that there's anything wrong with being American. But, but sometimes you go to these big conferences and then people tell you, right, we have the solution. Just do this and this will change everything about your entire life. There was such humility about this conference. There was nobody there that said, this is the, the model you must follow. If you just do this, everything will change. Everybody was united around God's heart, but also around our vulnerability and the fact that we need God's grace. We don't know what it's going to look like all the time. All we know is God has called us and we want to be available. And so um, those guys, they started this movement in the Ukraine in the midst of their cities blown, being blown to pieces in the war that's raging there. And um, they started taking kids in um, who lost their families and just thousands of families that have been massacred there over, over decades. And they started, pastors started adopting kids and a movement started and, and those guys, they were cycling right throughout Europe, raising funds for this, for this movement. Go to the next one. And just very quickly, some three testimonies. One girl there, um, she was abandoned by a mom in, in a hospital, had such 
tremendous mental um, damage that, was, uh, that she received because of the neglect and the abuse, that the doctors literally said that she needs to be put away, um, be in an institution because um, she pretty much is going to live in a state of being a, all practical intents and purposes, a bit of a vegetable. A nurse saw her, fell in love with her, took her home, loved her. Today she's studying to be a doctor herself. Simply physical love. Someone touching her, someone holding her close. And they started speaking to us about what happens to your brain when you don't get touched. It's a literal, real part in your brain that gets underdeveloped when you don't get physical touch and don't get consistency of love. And I thought about this, how many of us come into, come into a church environment and, and we are underdeveloped spiritually <laughs> because we haven't been touched, we haven't been loved. And God gives us the tremendous privilege as believers to touch each other, to love each other. And that's why God has designed us not to receive the fullness or the, the full outflow of our healing in isolation. I don't know how many of you have often fasted and you've prayed and you've worshipped God and you feel incredibly holy and you feel like sanctified until you get into the presence of your small group again and then all sorts of things manifest or you have to engage with your kids again. Why? Because God wants the, the stuff that he puts inside of us to be lived out within an environment where we are loved unconditionally. Something happens to the human brain and even to our human bodies when we're in that environment. A second guy there, he's a pastor heading up an orphan movement in, in Nigeria and, and um, had his family slaughtered at a young age as well. And uh, went to school, took himself through school until eventually one day things just got too much for him. He um, hated his life. He hated just feeling so rejected. And so he bunked, um, I think after the second break, he bunked his classes, went outside, took a rope, threw the rope over the tree, and was about to hang himself when a friend saw him, stopped him and said, I want you to come home with me. And he took him home and went into his house and a few minutes later he came out and his dad came with him and he said, Daniel, today this house is, is your house. Our fridge is your fridge. I want you to walk in there and I want you to know that you have a home. And he says he, he didn't believe it. He hated that man for preventing him from killing himself. But he said over the next three months, six months, something shifted in his heart. He knew that he was loved. Six months later, that dad died. But in six months, he had changed that young man's life. He had given him a hope. He had given him a purpose. He had told him, you are valued and loved, important enough. The little bit that we have, we're going to share with you. And today, Daniel is heading up a movement looking after orphans. The guy on the right there, crazy story from uh, Sri Lanka. Um, his dad set his mom alight, threw gasoline over her and lit the match. Um, needless to say, um, he died in, in hospital. The dad was arrested, and then the police came to her and, and, and um, told her about what happened. They caught the guy, and she said, there are only two things I desire. And that is that you, that you be lenient with him. You don't be too harsh on him, if at all that you can. And secondly, I want my boy to know that I've forgiven his father. Because my boy's got a calling. And he cannot go through this world with bitterness in his heart. And she reconnected him 
to his dad before she died. And today he's heading up a massive movement in Sri Lanka, changing the lives of young people. And so day after day, those were the testimonies and those were the stories. And I'm sitting there and I'm weeping. (laughs) I'm like, how am I going to take this and how am I going to translate this and what am I supposed to be doing with this? And there's all of this stuff in my my heart. And go to the next slide. And then we get to the Sunday and which was a highlight for me. Um, we had many workshops, and, and we spoke about, okay, so how do you make this practical? We changed a lot of ideas as to what we're doing in South Africa and some other organizations in our country, what they're doing. And, um, and then the Sunday, we got together, and they said, guys, today we're not going to have a speaker. Um, what we're going to do is we just want to give you time to connect with God. We want you to forget about all the challenges back home, we want you to forget about all the dreams. We want you to forget about your organization and the budget and all the stuff you feel you need to do for God. And we want you right now for the next hour and a half just to be a child in his presence. So what they done was they, they arranged the room in these different stations. And the, and the first station was the communion station. And you had the bread and the wine and they said, just go. Spend a few minutes Just thank God for your salvation. Just be there in the presence of the cross. And I've never been in a a moment as holy as that, kneeling besides friends from the Himalayas in Sri Lanka and India and just weeping. I I just couldn't get past that that point. I've been saved, that God has come and He's he's rescued me. And and it all starts, everything flows out of everything else that I had to do, everything else that I... All my mistakes, all my failures, all my dreams, it, it all was just sucked into that one moment at the foot of the cross. And it put my life into perspective again that even if I were never ever to do anything for God again, I'm loved by Him. And he has paid the price for me. I don't have to prove my love for Him by looking after the orphans. I don't have to prove my love for Him by getting people saved. I don't have to prove anything to Him. I am accepted as I am. And the more, I, the more I, I spend time there, the more my heart just swelled with the love. I'm like, but God, I want to, this love needs to come out. The second station that they had was um, the one where we just went to these maps. Go to the next slide. You go to the next one as well. And they had these beautiful maps that they printed out. And, and they said, just spend some time there and just lay your hand on a, on a nation. And you pray for that nation's children. And there. Uh, Trust God to show you what he wants to show you. And it's amazing. We, we, we're in this room. There are like 400 people from like over 100 nations. And it's like this holy moment. This, this is, no one is talking. People are weeping, just lying on their faces. As God's compassion just came over us. And, we, and we're weeping. We pray. And we realize that our love will never be enough. You can be moved for a few minutes. A speaker comes, they show you a nice video clip, and, you, and your heart gets moved for a bit. And then life hits you again. Other priorities hit you again. But there's something that happens to you when, when God's compassion hits you. Something happens to you when God takes possession of you. His love, His unction. And you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know where it's going to go. But all you know is that, that, that something has changed, something has shifted inside of you. They were wise enough to put a lot of Kleenex around all the stations 
So they have a lot of snot and a lot of tears. Let's go to the next one. And then just an amazing station was there, what they called the exchange station, the cross. And that's where they said, all of us, and this was the amazing thing, every speaker, everyone that came together, all of us, we were united in our love for, 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 for the orphans and the widows and the vulnerable, but we were also united in our, in our, in our, in our failures, <laughs> in our knowledge that, that this is messy. <laughs> this isn't clean and sanitized and predictable. And all of us had made mistakes. All of us had beautiful stories to tell and heart-rending stories to tell. But we had to make a choice about what are we going to do with those stories. And, and, and the exchange station was this, that, that here's a tangible reminder of the cross. This is where the greatest exchange ever took place. Come and bring your mistakes. Come and bring your failures and nail them to the cross. So we wrote them down, a piece of paper. That thing that the devil uses to intimidate you. That thing the devil uses to say to you, you are disqualified. You cannot make it. You are not good enough. That failure, that sin, that shameful thing that prevents you from stepping out into God's calling, write that down. Come and nail it to the cross. And then there were intercessors there who were praying and they would give us words that they felt the Lord had given them and just change coming upon us. The last station, and I think it's on there, it's just where they had intercessors praying this entire weekend, and you could just go there and people would lay hands on you and pray for you. I never got to that. I got stuck on the others. <laughs> it was so amazing. And um, you know, that's my journey, and, 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 and this morning I'm, I'm talking, uh, sort of the title of my sermon is Heart to Heart. And I'm, I'm wanting to chat to you a little bit of what I believe is God's, God's heart for us as his people. God's heart for us on a, on a day like this, on a Father's Day. I know that many of us have got incredible relationships with our fathers, and then there are some of us who, in our hearts, uh, maybe can't even remember the last time we spoke to our dads. Can't remember a good conversation that we've had with him. And then God is wanting to, to bring a healing into our hearts. He's wanting to bring a shift in our hearts for a healing with our own dads. But, and for some of us, God is wanting to transition us into a next level of being fathers ourselves, looking after those that, that need his love. If you can go to the next slide, please. One of the most amazing moments was just these kids from different nations praying for us, and just praying God's grace and praying God's love over the people. I'm going to read a psalm for you. If you can go to that slide that has the, the verse on it from Psalm 68. I'm going to read the whole psalm for you, the first few verses of that psalm that's on there, and that's sort of the theme of this of this. Um, of this morning. Psalm 68, a, a psalm of David, a song. I won't sing it. Relax. It says, Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. Right? So it starts off with, with this picture of God as an awesome God, as an amazing God, as a warrior God, as a, as a forceful, all-powerful God. Let, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. So it speaks about a holy God, speaks about a magnificent God, speaks about a God who doesn't need anything from anyone, who isn't intimidated by anyone's power, anyone's budget, anyone's connections, anyone's resources, anyone's army. 
It says, but, I love the but, as you all know, I love the but. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. Extol Him who rides on the clouds. It's amazing. Extol Him who rides on the clouds. It's an amazing picture. By His name, Yah, and rejoice before Him. Right, so starts off this amazing, powerful God, says that the wicked without God, they will perish, but let the righteous, let them find their strength in God. Let them rejoice, find their joy again, rejoice in God and His strength. And then in the midst of this, like this incredible picture of this powerful God riding on the clouds comes this description of God. Sort of thrown out there, this looks like a war song. And then in the middle of this, there's this, this beautiful verse. It says, a father... Of the fatherless. A father of the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. There's this powerful God, this, this all-conquering God. It says he's, there's something about him, about his heart. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the widows. In verse 6, God sets the solitary in families. The NIV says God sets the lonely in families. There's, there's something fundamental to, to who God is and to God's character that I believe that we as a church, that we need to, to step into again. And that is when God arises and when God, when God comes to, to fight, when He comes to show forth His strength, that He's got a very particular agenda on His heart. That He is someone that fights for those who don't know the love of a father. He's the one that fights for the widows. He's the one that comes and fights for those who cannot fight for themselves. That's the God that we serve. He's the one that comes for the lonely and who comes for the broken. He's the one that comes for those who have no other recourse available to them except Him. And I believe that there's a place where God is inviting us as His church to join Him in reflecting God. Because there's so many pictures people have of God, isn't there? But, but yes, it's very clear, very strong picture. Who is God? If you were to describe God, you would be able to describe him in many different ways. But I believe this is a very strong, very real picture that Jesus latched onto when he taught us to pray. And he said, when we pray, let's pray our Father. Not just mighty God, all-powerful God, holy God. He's all of those things. And more, which we will continue to discover into all of eternity. But there's, a, there's a, a, a picture, there's a chosen way through which God has chosen to reveal himself. And that is through his fatherhood. He has chosen to manifest his love for us through this picture of a God who loves children. And so, and so we, we've come to understand that if we are going to reflect God accurately, then children need to be at the top of our list of priorities. If we are going to partner with that God who's a father to the fatherless, and I'm going to encourage to some of you who feel that I don't have a good relationship with my earthly father. That doesn't have to disqualify you from knowing God the Father. In actual fact, you are beautifully positioned. <laughs> beautifully positioned to receive an awesome revelation from God about His heart for you. And you're beautifully positioned to manifest his heart towards other people. It doesn't have to be a disqualification. It doesn't have to be something you carry around with yourself for the rest of your life. I never knew the affection of my dad. I never knew my dad saying, I love you, I'm proud of you. I never knew my dad tucking me in 
pulling me close. I just knew the rejection. I just knew the harshness. It doesn't have to be how your story ends. He's a father of the fatherless. Of the spiritual fatherless, but also of the physical fatherless. And so, for us as church, if, if we are going to reflect this God, then we have to prioritize representing the Father heart of God towards the spiritual orphans as well as the physical orphans. And I believe that we are doing a wonderful job. We can grow in that. By all means, we can. But we're doing a wonderful job in terms of representing God's heart towards the spiritual orphans. I believe that. I believe God has anointed us to do that. But I believe He's wanting us to re-engage with his heart concerning the physical orphans. It's not good enough simply to spiritualize that verse. We have to get real and practical about what does it mean for us as believers and the church. James, um, one of those books in the Bible that sometimes you'd rather just skip over because, you know, James, uh, someone asked me this morning, are we going to be wrapped over the knuckles? And I just smiled. My knuckles are bruised. <laughs> you know, God sometimes comes and just gently wraps us over the knuckles in love. But James comes in and, and James says, um, speaking to, 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 to the church in terms of our religion, you know, what, what is, if you were to think about it, Jesus were to come and Jesus were to evaluate us as his body. Jesus were to come and he were to, to look at our Bible school activities. Just go to the, the verse in James. James 1.26. If you were to come and evaluate our spirituality and um, look at all our quiet times and all our prayer times and all our fasting and our encounters and all the things that we do, there are different criteria God will use and He will look at our hearts and all of those things and each one of us will give an account to God personally as to where we stand. But James makes it very clear about what is important to God in terms of our spiritual activities. And, and if that verse weren't in the Bible, then of course we could just go on to the other stuff, but it's, it's in the Bible. And so he says this, if anyone among you thinks he's religious, or thinks he's spiritual, or thinks he, he has a wonderful relationship with God, um, but he does not bridle his tongue, all right? So he's, he's got a loose tongue. He just speaks death over people. He gossips. He, he backbites. He doesn't speak life. He doesn't have self-control. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he hasn't learned to bless instead of to curse. If, if your tongue is loose and you just, you just cause havoc, and then the Bible says you are being deceived by your own heart. And I believe some of us, we just need to come and we need to say, God, um, I give you my tongue. Surrender my tongue to you. Um, help me to exercise self-control through the power of your spirit. It says this one's religion is useless. And then it goes on to define what is pure religion. What is it that Jesus is looking for in the activity of a church? Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Right There it is, okay? I didn't say that. Pure and undefiled religion before God, not before man, not before Heinrich, not before the regional, whatever, not before whatever denomination. Pure and undefiled religion before God. The things that matter to God is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So there's a holiness that God requires of us. Requires us to, to live holy lives to Him and that manifests in the practical one. That is that the way we look after the widows and the orphans, 
It's a direct parallel to our relationship to God. And so our challenge is, what are we going to do with that verse? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, and that's a danger about projects the Lord just highlighted to me. No, no that's, for, that's for the guys who have the deep passion for the kids. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's for the guys that, that, that really just have lots of mercy. I don't really see a qualification in there. And that's for the super spiritual, the super merciful, or the super this or the super that. Pure undefiled religion is to look after the widows and the orphans. Right? And so what I'm going to chat to you about is, before you get all condemned, is that for each one of us, that will look differently. Each one of us, we're in a different journey, we're in a different place, we're in a different season in our lives as well. But what we cannot do is to ignore that verse. What we cannot do is to say that verse is for the Keepway Project. That verse is for Sunil and them or for, for whoever else. Each one of us has to, to deal with that verse and make a, make a peace with it. I was thinking this morning, okay, let, let, let us do the, the Keeper Kids workshop afterwards, and, and the Lord just said, no, it, you guys all need to hear this. Right? Because this is not, a, it's not an NGO thing. This is not a, not a distant thing. I believe this is a hard thing. I believe that God is wanting to, to raise a standard here in this, in this church where the kids will be able to be pulled in into a, into a loving family. But that there are amongst us, even families right now, that, um, that need our care, that need our assistance, that need us coming alongside them to support them. And there's this beautiful verse that I'm going to read for you guys. In Daniel, if you can go to the one in, in Corinthians. I know many of us are feeling intimidated and we feel, but I don't have the resources, God, and I don't have the, I don't have the money, I don't have enough 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says, For God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you're always having all sufficiency in all things, might have an abundance for every good work. God is able to make all grace abound to you. I believe that if we are to um, tap into God's heart, that God has for the orphans in this, in, this, in this nation and in this city, we are going to experience an even greater measure of God's blessing. I believe that as we're going to tap into being his hands and his feet, he, he doesn't have a problem releasing the resources to us. And for some of you guys as, as couples and even as individuals, we're seeing such many beautiful things happening uh, in some of our congregations where even single people are saying, God, we want to adopt. We want to foster. Or in a temporary way, we want to look after kids. Maybe not permanently, maybe not full-time, but there's something that you can do. And I believe that as we would partner with God, as we would just open up our hearts and make ourselves available to Him, He is going to pour out His grace upon us. He's going to, to come and make sure that we have the all-sufficiency He speaks about in all things. And I believe that this church has been beautifully equipped by God in terms of skills, in terms of resources, but more important in terms of your heart. That if you were to tap into this, it's something beautiful, an explosion can happen here in Johannesburg. An explosion of God's love, an explosion of something supernatural that goes beyond just, just the normal. It goes beyond just what, what is happening in the, in the natural. And I remember last year we, um, when we arrived in Somerset West two years ago, the idea obviously was for us, as you all know, to take a bit of a back seat. Um, wasn't really to be as, as involved in ministry as, as, we, as we are right now. And the Lord just began to speak to me a little bit about that. He began to challenge me and, and say to me that, you know, there's a place where I said to the Lord, I think I'm a better follower than a, than a leader, right? That's what I said to the Lord. I, I think I would rather just want to follow for a bit and, and, uh, and not lead. And, and then the Lord started to chat to me about the promises I've made, the nevers that I've made. 
God, never this again, never that again. And it challenged me to say to me, I can remain within the natural confines of my natural abilities for as long as I rely upon myself. And I will have a lot of good results, predictable results, but good results. Or I can stay beyond my own capacity. I can stay beyond all my, the sums that I've made. This is what the spreadsheet says. This is what my natural abilities say. And I can decide, God, I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to trust you. And so we became the pastors again of, of Somerset West. And Enang, brother, we're excited to wear you, to have you just join us. It's going to be amazing. Forever long, the Lord will have you with us. Um, if some of you feel the unction to come to Somerset West, all right, don't resist it too much. Right, submit it to any first beforehand. All right? He'll pray with you and he will release you with joy in his heart. But if the Lord were to lead you there, don't. Uh, I tell the guys down in, in, in Cape Town as well, if you feel led to Johannesburg, don't rebuke the demons. Right? It might just be God <laughs> speaking to you. Okay? But, so when they asked us to become the pastors, um, obviously it wasn't something that we had um, asked for. Um, we prayed about it. We said yes. And, and then the Lord gave me this verse, gave me this scripture, um, and said that he's about to pour out his blessing upon Shofar Samus of the West. I was very excited about that. But you know when God gives you a word, it's normally because you need the word. It's not just because he gives it to you to just make you feel good. Right, and so we took over in was it August, um, and then September, we had a terrible month financially, all right, um, the congregation. And Shofar Summers of West has never struggled financially, they're doing very well. And so I thought, okay, this is a temporary blip on the radar, all right, this is just a, a temporary thing, and uh, October's going to look better, October was even worse, all right, and so November just is like a downward spiral, it's September, October, November, and it just happened to coincide with me becoming the senior pastor there. And as hard as you try, you just cannot stop thinking that maybe, you know, there's a correlation. Maybe, um, you know, what's going on here? And then, can you believe it? I'd forgotten about this verse. Crazy, eh? I'd actually forgotten about this. And so, praying to God and just saying, God, what's going on here? The Lord took me back to that. And I was like, okay, God, I read this. I heard you. But in case you haven't noticed, um, I'm not seeing all sufficiency, you know. I'm, I'm not like seeing that we have an abundance. In, in actual fact, we had to make some cuts. Okay, I, I told the staff, we, we got together, we looked at the budget, got the leaders together, and we said, okay, we're going to give up our office, and we're going to start working from home. Um, and everybody was saying, that makes, that makes sense. Um, we're going to make a few other cuts as well, cut here and there. And, and then I told them, and we're going to cut in the coffee as well on Sundays. Yo. Then I had people's attention, eh? and somebody said, put up the hand, um, maybe we should preach a little bit more about giving and tithing. And it's like, yo, all of a sudden, people were there, their faith was there, they were trusting the Lord. Just don't touch the coffee, man. <laughs> we can, we'll do anything, just don't touch the coffee. So I said, no, 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 we'll touch the coffee, we'll do away, because we had coffee before the service and after the service. I said, we'll do away with the coffee before the service, we'll have it after, afterwards, and maybe have another brand as well that isn't as, as fancy. But you know, the guys were like, they're praying. And then, and, <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. But anyway, so I was holding that before the Lord. And, and then the Lord said to me, Heinrich, I just wanted you to know that if ever you had thought, if ever you had thought, this has got anything to do with you, I just want you to think again. If ever you had thought that now that Heinrich is Senior pastor of this church, 
a new measure is going to come. And a new abundance is going to come. And of course, I didn't read it that. But I realized how subtly I put myself in the for God bit. You know, for God and Heinrich now, they're able to. Or even I sometimes just leave God out of and I put my own effort in. Then God just said, for what I'm about to do, I just need your availability, that's all. I just need your yes. You leave the rest up to me. When I got to that place and I said, God, you know, surrender this church again into your hands, all the stuff that's going on there and the finance and everything else. If it's going to work, then you need to do this. I didn't even know when it started happening, but things started changing around and we've had the best first six months of this year we've ever had in seven, seven years' time. It's God, is, God is doing it. And, and, and I just want to encourage some of you thinking about this orphans and making your home available. If you go to the previous slide, Daniel, just the one before that. By the way, I always pray for the PowerPoint people beforehand when I minister because I jump all over the place. I pray for them for, for added grace. But when we think about looking after the widows and the orphans, I firmly believe this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been called to look after the orphans. Not every family has been called to foster and adopt. Okay? The church has been called to look after them. How we look after them collectively is up to each one of us. Some of you in this room, you are going to foster. You are going to adopt. Other of you, others of you are going to come. You're going to offer your space. In other words, you're going to make a Sunday afternoon available to get to know families that are coming to your church. The spiritual orphans as well as the, the physical orphans. Get to know them. Open up the space of your heart. Open up the space of your home. Uh, let your kids play with the other kids. Invite them into your, into your story. Invite them into your life. Some of you are going to offer your prayers and, and you're going to partner in faith. And you're going to speak destiny over those kids. You're going to pray for them, for them from the moment that they get born. Even before they get born, when you realize that, that someone is busy thinking about adopting or fostering, you're going to pray for them. You're going to make it your life mission to release destiny over them. Release faith over them. Some of you are going to offer your experience. As parents, you, you now know where the best daycare centers are. You now know where to get the best nannies, where to buy the best. This. You're going to share that, that experience with them. It's an amazing difference that just a little bit of, of knowledge can make in someone's life that is struggling just to survive because they're having to raise this kid all by themselves or suddenly they've got this baby in their house and they're not prepared for this. Some of you are going to offer your skills, your, your time, your, your finances, your planning. Each one of us has got something to offer. Each one of us has got something we can give and which God can breathe upon to make sure that we become the family that he wants us to be. And for many of you, I believe the Lord is going to put you into contact with young people. Right? That in our nation, fees must fall campaign, all of those things. You know what that is? I believe you guys have spoken about it. I believe that's a cry for help. I believe that's the cry of a fatherless generation. Crying out for fathers. To father them. To shepherd them. To guide them. To love them. To discipline them. And I believe God is wanting to release the anointing of fatherhood in our hearts. Mom or dad, male or female. So I want you to show that alongside this clip. Because I believe that for many of you as, as young working professional people, maybe you don't have the capacity to adopt right now, but I believe that you have the capacity to come alongside someone, to love them, to walk with them, and to say to them that I'm not going to leave the discipleship up to some program. And I want you to think consistently as I'm talking. Don't just think physical often. Think spiritual as well. We live in a, in, a, in a disconnected society. 
we were just talking about it yesterday, I believe last week you guys had the chat concerning the dangers and challenges of media. But we substitute being connected on the internet and via Facebook with real connection. And you post a selfie and you hope that you will get more than a certain number of likes. Because if you have enough likes, then it means that you are valuable and important enough to someone. And so you put your best face forward on the selfie, hoping that people will like what they see. And that's how society lives. And yet God has designed church to be the place where you can put your worst face forward. Just be, as we heard through the worship this morning. Come with your fears. Come with all of those things. And know that you will be loved through this. But no one can do it alone. I believe that the Holy Spirit is wanting to transition us to a place where church is less of something that we come to and more of a family that we are. And that we would take, be brave enough, courageous enough, vulnerable enough to take his love to where it matters, that we would stop just inviting people to church and that we would take church to where the people are. Right at the beginning of that, um, that weekend, um, the speakers, one of the speakers said, with any great calling, there needs to be a great breaking. Great breaking of our own agendas, our own plans, maybe even the trajectory of our own lives. How, how I saw my life over these last few years, I saw my life going this way, then I have an encounter with God and He messes up everything. <laughs> now I'm confronted with His heart. And it can change everything about me. What do I do in that window? I want to pray for us. Lord, we, we thank you that as a congregation, we've come such a long way. God, a few years ago, we were small and we were meeting up in a beautiful venue and you were so good to us then, Father, and so patient with us. And you transitioned us, and you led us here, and you were good to us here, God, and we seeing so much of your grace upon our lives and so much of your favor. We thank you for everything that you have done, every prayer prayed, every act of service done by your saints in this house so faithfully. But, Father, I, I thank you for here today on Father's Day, Lord, that we can think about the fact that all of us, God, at one stage, we were orphans without you. We were strangers to your love and to your family. And you adopted us. You came looking for us. You gave us the spirit of adoption whereby we can now cry out, Abba, Father. I want to pray for that cry in our hearts. Some of us in this room, and our cries have grown silent. I just sense in my heart that some of you have, you have received and you have welcomed and you have entertained different spirits. Romans 1 says that we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But we have received the spirit of adoption. Ah, we can cry out, Abba, Father. And I just sense that some of us, we have received that spirit of bondage again to fear. Fear that we're going to fail God. Fear that we're going to miss our calling and our destiny. Fears keeping us awake at night. We have received spirits of shame. Spirit of 
performance drivenness where we, 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 we struggle to just relax in the fact that more than us being able to follow him, our trust can be in the fact that he knows how to lead us. He knows how to lead us. There's some, some of us here in this room, and you are a frantic little sheep. And I believe Jesus is the good shepherd just wanting to rekindle your trust in his ability to lead you. And Father, I want to I pray, Lord, for our hearts in this, in this room, Lord. I want to pray that you would come and that you would, Lord, just rekindle that spirit of adoption again. Pray that you would come and that, and that, Lord, you would reawaken that cry in our hearts. Abba, Father, 